Breakaway Beauties, we'd like to thank Mercedes-Benz of Nashville for allowing us to use their conference room tonight. I'm Abby Miles, here with Cameron Martz. Hi. Abigail Martin. Hey, y'all. And we have a special guest here today. We have Jillian Fisher. Hey, guys. Thank you for having me. How's everyone doing? We're good. We're good. Can't complain. So, Jillian, let's start this off right now. Yeah. You have so many videos, mm -hmm. and they're so successful. How do you come up with them? Because each are so creative. So, I have just this long list in Google spreadsheets where I just, anything that pops into my head, I just kind of write it down. So like if you think about like ordinary life situations, I'm kind of always writing them down. Like when I did the mid-season report cards, I just thought about the fact that like how you go home from school and you get a report card and just the thought of like taking any life situation and trying to apply it in a really ridiculous manner usually results <laughs> in some type of good comedy or taking a really hockey situation and applying it to normal life you know, like hockey fans in real life, like what would that look like? Um, so just, it's just, a, my, I say I'm always going, like creatively there's always something going in my head. Yeah, you have to have a lot of hockey knowledge and watch a lot of it all the time to be able to give those mid-season report cards and just have that knowledge spot on. Yeah, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of, it, you have to really be passionate about it. I think mm -hmm. that's the thing, like if I, if it really wasn't a passion, it would just be a lot of work and it is a lot of work to keep up with all that information but when you love it so much it's just I was saying to somebody today like it's really fun for me to keep up with all the teams that way it's a fun way for me to stay engaged and like keep up with what's going on around the league because before I was doing this you know I'm from Philly so I would keep up with the Flyers news you know really what's going on in the division and just what was happening mainly in the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference was not an afterthought but like I would know that I would know the top talking points. Yeah. So it's been really fun for me to kind of really get my hands into everything, and I've really enjoyed that part of it. How long does it take you to actually film and create <laughs> those videos? <laughs> oh, so it's it's something that it's a pro, it's a week long process because you know I do have I, I I'm not a nine to five job. I mean I, I work in freelance, so I kind of have my own schedule. But you know it's. If I tried to do it all in one day, I, I couldn't. It just would be impossible. So I, the script writing is something that happens over the course of the week. I spend a couple hours here and there every night trying to fine-tune things, see what idea was working. If something wasn't working, which happens sometimes, you try to move on and see if you can switch or make something work for the rest of the week. And then usually the weekend is when I film. And then after that, the editing is usually not too bad because it's it's a pretty quick put together because all the thought went into it beforehand could take anywhere from 8 to 15 to 20 hours um it was so funny the mid-season report card I was like I want to do something easy this week and so I proceeded to do like essentially four skits that I've never done before a 10 minute video when they're usually three minutes I, I have terrible ideas and like that was one of them where I was like this is going to be easy and I was pulling my hair out because I'm like this is taking way too long but the, when, the, when you see the final product it is a lot of fun you mentioned the final product. Do you did you expect for them to blow up as no. much as they did? No. So before I was doing this, because I've been to Nashville a couple of times, and I am a cultural anthropologist actually by trade, and I was really fascinated with fan culture and just like the microcultures of individual fan groups and kind of how they impact the city and the local community. And I would do that not just in the U.S. but around the world, and that was really. The, one of the biggest passions for me getting into this and I was trying to do some videos like travel vlogs and things like that and I thought I was famous when I hit like a thousand views I was like woo go girl like I was so proud of myself when I would hit a thousand because like it was unheard of and I just was kind of like well it's slow but you know it's it's a dry topic like it's 
something that you either have to already have that kind of following where people are engaged with you and they want to see a different side of you, or you need to make it really interesting. And so I kind of, as when, when things weren't working out, it's really tough to let go of an idea and change it. And that's like something that I've always tried to pride myself on, like being able to adapt. And it was tough to let go of that initial way I wanted to deliver the message. But in now the way I do it, it's, I'm still telling fan stories in a way, you know, I'm still kind of being a voice and understanding each fan culture and still doing similar things just in a way that I feel like reaches people in a different way. And I love like getting the messages from people who are like, oh, your videos make my day. Cause like, I, I also wanted to, you know, be in disaster management. That was something I really was interested in. So I wanted to help people. And it's really fun for me to see the videos when people are like, oh my gosh, like I was having a terrible day until I saw this. And I was like, okay, this is working. This is what's really nice. So when they started to blow up, it was kind of just a total shock to me. And I really, really didn't expect it. So you mentioned how people will like message you, how how much they love their videos, but I know you get some that obviously mm-hmm. aren't so fond of yours. How, yes. do you, how do you handle the hate that you get? Uh, I think, well, being on the internet in general, putting yourself out there, you... If you're not getting hate, that means you're not drawing a strong enough emotion in either direction. So in order to have a product that people love, that means you have to have a product that people also hate. And I think what was interesting to me is because one, when I first did this, I never expected it to blow up. So I really wasn't expecting anybody to care, right? So when when you were doing it and my intentions were so pure, I was like, this is just a goofy little video. Who cares? And just the amount of hate that came from it was shocking for me at first because I'm like, why why do people care so much about a 90-second video that mean, that has no impact on their life? But that's the internet. Um, so it's, I, I pick my battles. You know, sometimes I respond, sometimes I don't. Going through, I the way I do it is honestly my notifications as I'm scrolling through, if I see a comment, I respond more or less. There's definitely some times where I don't, but... You know, I try not to put too much thought into it. Like if somebody says these videos are stupid, I say then don't watch them. But I, I like to think that I give a lot more time to somebody who does respond in a, in a positive way. Like I'll make sure I go and I'll look at their page and it sounds so stupid, but like if they're a St. Louis Blues fans, I'll make sure I send a blue heart. Or if they're like, <laughs> if, they're, if they're a Preds fan, I'll send a yellow heart. Just like something like that, that, that minor which like maybe they don't even recognize that I'm doing that. But that to me is like I took the time, I went out of the way to see if there was anything I could relate to. So I do spend a lot of time on the positives and looking at their profiles and I make sure I try to say their name and their response. Like it's dumb, dumb stuff like that. But to me, it's like they took their time out of their day to say something. Yeah, it's like you're making it more personal. Yeah, so and that's why I really don't spend like I, I really don't spend a lot of time on the negatives and it's just interesting to me on Twitter. Like nobody cares that I say thank you, but like when I say respond to a negative thing people like either love it or they hate that I've responded to it it's a very the internet is a very weird place so um but I think and the reason I like to respond sometimes is like when I first started doing this I looked to voices like Katie Nolan or other like strong females who I saw handling the hate and like it honestly gave me confidence to be like yeah I can put myself out there you know look at her standing up for herself it was something that really struck a chord with me and when it starts to get bigger and bigger for myself, I was like, that's what I would want to be in case anybody who sees my video, male or female, is like, yeah, I can stand up for myself too. So what's your advice? Because obviously all women in media have the same problems. Yes. Us all three can, can relate yeah. to that. What's your advice to uh, women in the media that are going through the same thing that you're going through? 
I mean, one, you know what you know. You, people are going to always question your knowledge. So whatever it is, just know, be confident in your knowledge. And the people, the trolls that are out there are trying to get under your skin. They, that's what they want. Um, if you if you want to respond, respond. There's There's no harm in it. But just make sure you're doing it in a way that it's not, you're not bringing yourself down. You're not making yourself feel terrible. You're not allowing it to get under your skin any further by that. And, you know, I, I always think it's great to see women responding because a lot of times people need to see it. I think that part of it is if you make people feel uncomfortable enough by saying these things, that's how you make it go away. And obviously it's never going to all go away. Um, but seek allies too, you know, seek other women. I mean, there's definitely women who maybe I don't always agree with their sports opinions, but that, you know, you'd be an ally with them. If you see something happening, don't be afraid to call somebody out. And just, again, don't be afraid of your knowledge. Don't always know that if you've said it, it doesn't matter what somebody else says. You said it, you stand by it, and that's the important thing. So do you ever, like, feel like a celebrity with all the comments? <laughs> do, do people just come up to you if they see you and be like, hey, are you Jillian Fisher from Twitter? So it was funny. The first time... I used to work on a hockey website a while ago, and I did get a couple people there that, like, noticed me. But, like, the first time somebody asked me, I was at a Flyers game with my friend from uh, work when I previously lived down in Philly, and a guy came up to me and asked me for my picture, and I was just like, huh? Like, I didn't understand, like, why he wanted a picture of me. I was very confused. And he's like, oh, I'm just a big fan of your work. And it was just so weird, very weird to me. Um... Because I'm just, like, goofing around. Like, I'm just having fun. And, like, I, I love that I get to deliver information in a different and fun and unique way. But it's, uh, it's, it's very strange. It's a strange thing. I'm still adapting to it, honestly. Like, there's definitely times where I used to, I feel like I used to be able to respond to every single one of the comments or any time anybody would mention me. And, like, now I'm really struggling. And it's just, it's a weird, a weird thing for me. It really is. So I'm learning. I'm learning. Yeah, because you, you were at the Stanley Cup final when the Preds were there, right? You were holding the catfish. That's I actually was. where I first met you. I yes. doubt you remember me. You were being bombarded by millions yeah. of people. Yeah. But I remember you handing me the catfish. What was that experience like for you to be in Nashville <laughs> for the Cup final? Oh, I love. I mean, I've, I've loved it here before. I'd been here, like, in the middle of a season. It was, like, a January game. It was weirdly cold down here, and I loved it then. <laughs> um, but just to see... I think it was like the first time that like the national stage really got to see how mm -hmm. fun it can be. And I always hate calling it a non-traditional market because like to me that insinuates that traditional markets mean something different where it's insinuating that hockey can't be successful anywhere. And that drives me crazy. But in terms of like how the, some, a lot of the hockey world was say, it's a non-traditional market. And it was just kind of so fun to see like people who you wouldn't expect falling in love with it. And people like falling in love with with Nashville, the market of Nashville. So I mean, and I think again, with that comes the hate. I mean, I'm sure as you guys know, the the bigger and more popular Nashville mm -hmm. got, the more the haters come out, and that's just that's a good thing. That means you're doing something right. Yeah. And I loved being down here for it. I thought it was just, it was one of my favorite ex experiences because I actually got into the game in a fun and creative way because I did not have a ticket. So um, You definitely made an impression. Yeah. That's for sure. <laughs> and, I mean, the, the fish, it, we honestly just wanted to have fun, and we knew, like, it was something that was fun and 
would get people riled up outside mm-hmm. the arena, and it was just my hands smelled like fish. I feel like for five weeks afterwards, <laughs> like I couldn't get that smell off of me. And at the end of it, the catfish was so hot, it was just like holding a Ooh. hot dead fish. It was terrible. I don't ever recommend doing that, <laughs> but um, it was no, worth it. It was worth it. <laughs> So you mentioned that you're here in Nashville, but have you been to other arenas? And what was different here that you haven't experienced in any other arena? Oh, God. I mean, obviously the live music. I mean, for, okay. you have the live music in intermission. Um, the, I think the coolest thing that the, the new arena that's closest to it would be T-Mobile in Vegas, where it's like right off the strip. Even that, it's like you have to walk a teeny tiny bit. Like where it's like when you come out, and when I say a teeny tiny bit, I mean like it's a very minuscule amount to walk to get on the strip. And also, if you ever go to Vegas, once you're on the strip, good luck getting off the strip because it took me about an hour to get off, like out of the Bellagio, and like I got lost in the Bellagio, and I was like, I just want to go home. I'm so tired right now. Um, I just wanted to go to bed like a grandma. Um, but it's very difficult to get off the strip once you're on it. But what's fun about Nashville is like. It's it's right there on Broadway. It's what everyone thinks of Nashville as that spot, like Broadway right there. And you go out and you're in the heart of it. And it's just, I can't think of really anywhere else where it's it's right there. It's right in your face. And I think that has a lot to do with not the success of it, but that fun energy that comes with it. Would you say the Preds are the best fans in the NHL? Oh, you're putting me on the spot yeah, here. When I'm in Nashville, absolutely. I feel like it's such a blast. It really is. Okay, and how about if you're in anywhere besides Philly? Anywhere besides Philly. I mean, Philly fans aren't the best in the NHL. <laughs> okay, well, I was giving you yeah. the chance to be biased. So yeah. I, was just, I was giving you the opening. I, I would say that there's, they have a really distinct culture. They have a really distinct fandom here, which is which I think is like why it's worthwhile for anybody to come here and really experience it because it's very, very unique. And I think somebody who comes from Canada or wherever or has like a, a strong bias to like hockey in southern markets, hockey anywhere um, where they where it doesn't snow regularly. I think if you were to come to Nashville, you would be surprised at just how, not only how much they love hockey, but I always say it's like the southern hospitality and hockey combined, mm-hmm. and it's just a really unique blend that you can't, you can't find anywhere else. So I'm going to put you on the spot again. Yeah. If you had to put Nashville second to any team in the league fan-wise, fan who would wise. it be? I love Tampa. I do love Tampa I can a handle lot. That. Yeah, they they have a very similar issue, I feel like, with their with being in a southern market. Mm-hmm. People don't think that it's a hockey city. Um, they are a lot. I mean, and again, that's not a dig at any of the other fan no, bases that I've been at. I no, love, no. I mean, I've had a great time. Have I had a great time? Yeah, I've had a great time everywhere. I'm like, there was one sporting event where I didn't have an awesome time, but it was not in hockey. Uh, but the fans in Tampa, I, I, they're a lot, a lot of fun. And they, um, they they care a great deal about hockey. And, it's just, again, it's just fun to see hockey in palm trees and hockey with, like, 105 degrees weather and it's humid. And it's just all that fun stuff where it's just so unique and it's it works out really well down there. Have you ever had a bad experience at a hockey game? The only time that I felt a little iffy was it wasn't at a Maple Leafs game. It was after the World Cup of Hockey, and it was after the North America-Russia game. Yes, that's what it was, North America-Russia. And there were I – I don't remember what country they were from. They were not from Canada or America. And they were they had just been drinking a lot and I just mm-hmm. felt a little uncomfortable. But like that's the worst that I've ever ever felt. But minus that, I've had a lot of fun at every game I've been to. I've really enjoyed 
getting to see the local community, the local fans. And I, I always say I wear the team shirt wherever I go. That's how I've collected them over the years. So I would always buy one wherever I go. And um, I mean, obviously, going you can't compare a February game against two non-contending teams versus a Stanley Cup playoff game. Like, and I think that's yeah. what happens a lot is people try to do that. And it's like, well, of course. If I go to Edmonton right now, people are going to be throwing their jerseys on the ice, and that's the highlight, you know? So it's it's tough to compare every team because, like, the situations are always very, mm-hmm. very different. Yeah. But it's – I always say you can have a good experience, you can have a bad experience. It's up to you. You know, it's, it's whatever you – if you're looking for a bad time, you're going to have a bad time. But mm-hmm. I, it's – there's good fans everywhere. We've mentioned how far you've come, but how did you get started with hockey? Where did you find your passion? Ah, <laughs> uh, So, I mean, for, for hockey or for this – for both, actually. So for hockey, I I know I didn't play growing up um, because I had three older brothers and two of them were very into hockey, and I always wanted to play. But and this is what's I'm gonna get a little sap, like sappy here. But this is what's so great <laughs> about seeing like the NWHL All Star Game and seeing women represented because my parents didn't want to buy me equipment because it was too expensive and there was no real leagues for me to play in at night. And I was in an area where you know hockey was pretty prevalent, like our. In my high school, our team won state in Pennsylvania. You know, it was pretty popular, but there really wasn't anywhere for women to play hockey. I'm sure we could have found it or played with the men, but it was just they didn't want to invest in it because I always wanted to play every sport, and there was just no path. Like, at least when I was playing soccer, like, you could see, like, all right, well, it's a tough path still, but she can make it. She can she can go and play, for, at least for the women's national team or whatever, but there really wasn't that for hockey. So... Uh, I just grew up, we always watched it, it was always the sport in our house, and I just grew up watching my brothers play, they called it the barn, and it was a barn with an <laughs> arena, like a little uh, uh, arena, not arena inside of it, a rink inside of it, so that's how I grew up loving the sport and grew up with the Flyers, and my mom's a huge, huge fan, so, you know, she was always the one that would stay up watching, you know, like the six overtimes, you know, in the playoffs she loves it she does it now like it doesn't matter what team it is like she'll watch it she doesn't care who it is um but for for making videos and just doing what I do now in college I was struggling to figure out what I wanted to do and I I fell in love with anthropology and so I went to my professor and I said can I can I study sports and she goes yeah, why not? And, like, she's the type of lady, like, she was James Bond, like, as who she was. Like, you would, anywhere you could, any story you could think of, like, she had an amazing story with her. And I was like, I want to be like you when I grow up. Um, and so she's like, yeah, absolutely. So I started studying sport and culture, and I went, I lived in Spain for six months and studied sport there. And when I came back, I was like, well, I guess it's time to get back to reality. And I went and I got a regular nine-to-five job. And I was like, I can't do this. I have like this desire to tell this some type of story about sport and culture and fans. And so I just started, I, I went to her and I said, what do I do? Because I, you know, I still keep in touch with her to this day. And she goes, just do it. And I'm like, the hell do you mean just do it? Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Are you crazy? And she was like, well, what's stopping you from doing it? And I like gave her this list and she was like, that sounds like a bunch of excuses to me. And I'm like, okay, geez, like my bad. And so... Uh, I so I just started honestly I just started doing it I start started going on weekends we traveled to like Minnesota we would go to Denver we would travel around and just talk to people and start making videos and things like that so that's how that's how it got started I always felt like I had this kind of weird story to tell and I really wanted to do that so and I just literally started doing it so 
So we're going to move on yeah. to <laughs> talking about... I ramble a lot, so please <laughs> No, it's okay. Yeah. 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 It's, it's all good. It's great. Um, so the Preds recently made two pretty big uh, roster changes with Brian Boyle and Cody McLeod coming back into the lineup. What do you guys think about that? I'm on McLeod 9, first of <laughs> all. Um, I think Cody McLeod and Brian Boyle really bring a lot of physicality to the Preds, which I think is going to be very important for them in the long run. Uh, the team is very small compared to Winnipeg. You see when they play Winnipeg, everybody's tall. There's Bufflin. There's Myers, who's, what, like six, seven foot tall, whatever. Um, but I think Brian Boyle has a good net front presence as well, which will be very important in the long run. Yeah, I and mean, he had Brian Boyle specifically this season so far. He has 13 goals, six assists, and 19 points. In the last five games, he has a goal and an assist. That's going to be big. And right now, he's lining up with Turris and Yarn Croak on the third. What do you expect from this third line as they face off against the Stars? Honestly, net front presence because during all the practices, Boyle was in front of the net. And I think that's something that the Preds really need because they don't seem to know how to do that. <laughs> But, you know, hopefully that's what Boyle brings. And that's – I love Boyle. I love his story. I just think he's a really good guy. So I'm happy that he's officially in Preds gold. Do you guys have any concerns about what other pieces you may need to kind of round you out? I know Boyle is really an exciting addition, but does it feel like you're still missing a little bit of something? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, I feel like almost every team is missing, like, that one piece. Maybe not Tampa because they can never seem to, like, actually lose. <laughs> but – Cambridge is a super team. They (laughs) don't lose. Um, No, but I think the Preds definitely need a piece, and I think that's what Poyle also said, and I'm pretty sure he said in an interview that he needed more from the offensive because with the Jofa line, you can't just depend on the Jofa line for everything. I mean, they've they've been missing a piece for a long time. Like, they haven't had the full team all season. They've had moments where there's been healthy – there's just been healthy moments. Then Turris got injured, and then he's been out for how long now? Like – a minute. A hot minute. minute. <laughs> Very so, hot minute. and then obviously Austin Watson, the un- unfortunate. It's okay, Abby. Talk about it. It's just it's get it out. It's just it's just very unfortunate. But at the same time, I'm very glad that he's getting the help that he needs. Um, but it's obviously he's such a big aspect to this team. As much as we don't want to like admit to that, because he's just a third liner. Obviously, we he, they're not as important as the first and second liners, whatever. But the penalty kill is going to hurt from this. Um, I don't know. It's just I think Cody McLeod's a good asset to that. Brian Boyle's a good asset to that. But I also think that Artemi Panarin would be a good asset to that. (laughs) But what would they have to give up for something else? What do you think they would have to give up? Kevin Fiala. (laughs) Never saw that one coming, did (laughs) y'all? It's not like you mentioned it in every podcast. I don't. I'm just – I'm opinionated. I'm just – I'm trying – I'm trying. I'm not doing it very well, <laughs> but I'm trying to kind of smooth it over. Are you trying? I don't but, think. I don't but know. realistically, Kevin Fiala could could get them a could get them something good. So going back to Julian's question, I agree with y'all. He wants to look for something else. He's not looking directly for it. I think he said that he was waiting for the right deal to come up, and he wanted to see with how Boyle and McLeod and with Harris coming back how that would change. But Panarin, the president of their wingman, and. What they're going to have to give up, I don't know. If it's Kevin Fiala, it's Kevin Fiala, and I'm sure it's going to be something else. But Panarin would be a good addition. He's got 20, 20 goals, 40 assists. Last five, he's got two goals, six assists. He would be really beneficial for the team, as any other wingman would be. And I think it's going to be big to see someone, 
either step up or make that roster move. But again, as a Preds fan or any fan, when you're on the block to make a trade, you're terrified of what you're going to give up because you have to think of, what about chemistry? What if he doesn't fit in? What about Mm -hmm. this? What about that? So it's really scary. So I'm glad it's David Poole's job and not ours. (laughs) But what specifically about Panarin would y'all expect and where would he fit in? I I don't know. I mean, yeah, Breadman's a good player, (laughs) but I, I just don't think he's the type of person for the Preds. That's just my personal opinion. I mean, he's a goal. He's a goal scorer. He's a sixty-point guy. I think it's more of the idea. Do you think that you have that feeling just because of the situation that's in Columbus right now, where he's kind of like, he's kind of put them in a in a hard place, whether they like to admit it or not. He comes across. It's almost like the whole Nylander situation, where it's like his personality and the way the situation was handled. People have an idea of who they are as a person now, or as a player that would fit into a group. It, it, I think it's partially that, and I think because the Preds have such a good, strong group that if you added someone like Artemi Panarin, it would kind of mess that up in a way. Maybe not on the ice, but I feel like off the ice, it'd just be like a different atmosphere because I feel like he'd be one of the bigger players. Honestly, it's so weird to me that he's not on the Blackhawks. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to be yeah, honest. Yeah. It still feels – once a Blackhawk, always a Blackhawk. You have that in you, I don't – <laughs> and look, Hartman, he's come far. Hartman, Hartman's like the, the exception, but okay. Panarin is always going to be a Blackhawk to me. Yeah. I don't know why. Well, I think it's interesting, like the way you were saying how worried about chemistry. He's this big, big name, like he's a superstar. And you think about in San Jose, and they got Carlson. I mean, yeah, things have come around for them, but it took a long time for it to really shake out and get that chemistry. So a big name player that's coming in, not that they should just be able to like slide right in there, but you're fitting in a big personality, and any and then even if they don't have a big personality, they have a big presence, and that matters in your terms of chemistry. It was the same with Johansson when the Preds first acquired him for Seth Jones. It their chemistry definitely wasn't there, but you see how far the Preds have come with Johansson. He's on the first line now, and I feel like it's Nashville. The Preds, it's a great locker room. Everybody's nice. We're nice. So the Preds nice. Southern hospitality. Yeah, Southern hospitality. It it works for everybody. Everybody just come to Nashville. So mm. if you were David Poyle, what would you give for Artemi Panarin? Obviously, I'd say Kevin Fiala, but I know that. <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm gonna say Watson then. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm gonna say you can leave. Um, Bye. No, no, no. I just like I'm. I know this is gonna sound weird, but I'm more worried about the guys in Milwaukee Ugh. than I am for the guys here. It's just Dante Fabro, Ellie Tolvanen. Those are two guys that I definitely don't want to give up. If Fabro leaves, I'll cry myself to sleep every night. Yeah. If every leaves, single night. I'll cry myself to sleep too, every night. but, oh, Jesus, I can't. The price for a player like that is usually pretty steep. Yeah. So, and the whole thing with if the Blue Jackets are going to let him go, they're going to want something in return because that's the whole reason they would trade him now is because they don't want to lose him for nothing because that is what they risk if they don't trade him is losing yeah. him for nothing. So, you know, the fears that you have are very legitimate because it, the price for him is – is going to be pretty steep. I feel like it's going to be like a Mark Letestu kind of thing when we just kind of used him for a trade, and I feel like that's going to be Brian Boyle. I feel like that's going to be the man. Do you imagine how heartbroken everyone would be because everyone here is so excited? Stop. I I love Boyle. Stop. See, I've already seen him in a Preds jersey. It's glued. It's over. Like, he's he's, uh, retiring here. That's it. 
No, I just, I don't know. I feel like the Preds have done it once. The Preds can easily do it again. It's not like the Preds could really get anything in return for McLeod. He's just traveling. I mean, of course he wants to be back with his family who've lived in Nashville. Unless we put McLeod in for a piece of something. You know, like... A small piece a, of something. I, <laughs> I know it would be a small piece of something, but what, like, a team... Mm. He brings physicality. Exactly. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm thinking. He can bring that. And you can put Fiala in there, too. And just toss them back to... <laughs> just toss Throw them. <laughs> Farewell, friend. But Hope you don't fall off the boat. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as the Preds acquired Boyle and McLeod, I'm thinking, okay, McLeod's a piece, but... He's not the main focus, of course, sorry, but McLeod's not the main focus, but you throw in someone else and a prospect or something. I wasn't expecting draft picks to go away after last season. I think in the long run it's going to bite them a little bit. I, I don't know. As long as they don't get rid of their first, and they still have two more in the third, I'm pretty sure. And again, Victor Arvidsson went undrafted. Exactly. So you never know who he could get. So if you don't get Panarin, what are some of the other – players out there that you could you be thinking about. I know I've heard Duchesne's name thrown around. I hear, I'm from Philly, so I hear Simmons thrown around a lot. Uh, are there any other players that you guys would like to see come to Nashville, and what would you be willing to give up for them? At this point, now that they got Brian Boyle, I don't think they're really going to be interested in Simmons anymore. Um, I personally think Mark Stone would be a great asset to the Preds. Um I don't know. That's that's just kind of where my mindset is at. Either Panarin or Stone. I'm good with Duchesne. With how much he comes to Nashville, I feel like he would be a very character guy. I have a soft spot for Duchesne. I think he's a good guy. I think everybody does. Yeah. I mean, he was mentioned last year and this year, so apparently something's reoccurring. Something's going right for him that everybody wants Duchesne. But I'm with Abby. I think Mark Stone would be – I mean, either way, it's beneficial. But Stone, I could see fitting in e- easier. For some reason, I just feel like they'd have to give up a lot more for Duchesne than they would for Stone. Just, Probably. Just because yeah. Duchesne is – I just feel like he's high maintenance. <laughs> I don't know. Tell us how you really feel. I feel like he's high maintenance. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> but then again, with someone like Mark Stone, he's kind of one of those long-time players that he's been on the team for but a while. So is Brian Boyle. Mm, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Think about it. Everybody in New Jersey, they love Brian Boyle. And I can only imagine how heartbreaking that was – to watch him leave. There's I'm, a Devils fan in the room, so we're just going to... He's a crying. Moment, moment he's of crying. Silence. Everybody a moment of silence. silence. Yeah. <laughs> we're all staring at you. <laughs> we support you. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. Sometimes sorry. you just have to make a hard decision. But I'm not sorry about it. <laughs> Except unless, uh, unless it is a part of a grander scheme. You know what? If that happens, then you can laugh at me afterward. Yeah. <laughs> but for now, I'm not sorry. <laughs> Do you, what happens if you guys don't make any additional trades? What if, what if that was it? I, I would be okay with that, honestly. I'd be okay. You get everybody healthy, everybody's working back in. And I know health has been, like, something big for the Preds throughout this whole season, but when Torres and Salty get back, it's going to be a whole different team, and especially when you put Boyle back and McLeod in the lineup. What about Rocco, though? What are y'all, what are y'all's feelings? I need to know. It's kind of sad that Rocco's sitting out against the Stars, but... I don't know. I feel like he's he's proven himself so much to just kind of be pushed to the side. And especially in our last podcast, when we had Abby Grimaldi on talking about the whole house situation and then moving 10 times, I feel like that kind of sit uneasy with me when you aren't in the lineup. But David Poyle, 
he knew what he was doing but when he told Grimaldi that he could buy a house here. Like, he wouldn't tell him that. He He's known that he was making moves for a long time. He's always making moves. So I feel like, I don't know, maybe he just wants to give it a second to give Boyle and McLeod the chance to kind of get back into the groove of it, and then he'll throw Grimaldi back in. But I just don't see how you can let a guy sit that plays as well as he does. That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking it's going to be really short-term let them come in and see where they fit and see if there's any other changes. There's still a hot minute before the NHL deadline comes up, so you're looking short-term, I think, and whenever Poyle made that call to the Grimaldis and said, get a house, this is it, you're staying, I'm, I'm thinking that it was mentioned then, hey, there's some accusations that are coming up, but just this is a heads up, it's nothing about you, because as we've said, he's proven himself with the Preds, so I don't think it's going to be long-term. And speaking of injuries and long-term, Zach Ronaldo out with a season-ending shoulder injury. More than likely why Cody McLeod came back in, which I'm honestly okay with having Cody McLeod instead of Ronaldo. I've, I love McLeod. I think he's one of like, the nice like bruisers who like, is a good guy yeah. but can still rough you up a little bit. I feel like so. he's just going to replace Ronaldo on the scratch list. That's what I'm worried about. I mean, he could, but could, yeah, you could still have a bruiser up. for the Jets. That's Ronaldo true. was never actually someone who would really fight. But, like, he's That's... not what the Preds wanted with, like, a bruiser. Because Austin Watson has now changed. <laughs> it's okay. We're Austin here Watson you. has now changed <clears throat> from a bruiser to not a bruiser. But I'm good with McLeod replacing Ronaldo. I really am. It's a little sad, and it's especially sad seeing one of – the players being hurt and for such a long term, that's that's not good for his career, for him, Preds. But I like Ronaldo. I don't know about you all. I, I, have, a, I have a soft spot for him. Those brown eyes, they get they get me every time. I don't know. He's great. But, <laughs> yeah, I don't – it's sad. Then again, like, yeah, it's season-ending shoulder injury, but you saw how fast Kevin Fiala came back after he broke his femur. Oh, like, he was, he was Johansson. back quick. Yeah, yeah, Ryan Johansson had I – I didn't look it up, but apparently it was pretty bad. Ryan but, Ellis's, huh? Ryan Ellis's last Ryan year. Johan. Oh yeah, but, but then again, just, he was out for the yeah, out beginning for portion of the season. Yeah, but that's it's he was still pretty fast. Yeah, yeah. But the, like that's a broken femur. Yeah. And Kevin Fiala was just like, uh, what's that? <laughs> and just got back on the end. <laughs> I can just hear him being like, uh. <laughs> and just he's he's not human. Is what my point yeah. is. <laughs> He's, he's not human. He's he's some, like, weird alien that plays for the Preds, and he slips on pucks, and then he scores, like, beautiful goals every now and then, and then he's just kind of irrelevant. Speaking of beautiful goals, Philip Forsberg. My man. Don't be wary. He broke. Speaking of Philip Forsberg, my man, he ended the Owen 34 power play shit show. Amen. Hallelujah. I love that man with all my heart. And it's February, 55 points in 53 career February games, or February games. If you follow me on Twitter, you would have seen that I asked if teams could decline penalties, which I still think should be a thing. Like, if teams are bad on the penalty or on the power play, they should be like, no, penalties declined. Uh, like football. Please, yeah, like, <laughs> decline penalties declined. Please remain five on five, automatic first down. Yeah. It's done. <laughs> That's it. I think it's necessary. Preds need it. But, you know, Philip is here to save the day, so flipping my hair it's fine we love a first liner philip forsberg with <laughs> one goal and three assists in february so far we love a philip forsberg that got robbed of the calder in 2015 
And then somebody I'm really to feel about that, Abby. A little salty still. I'm yeah. very angry about it. Aaron Ekblad can jump off a bridge. Well, and then you go to game five against the Blackhawks, and you score a hat trick. And you're just like, hey. He scored a hat trick on the night that he wasn't nominated. I was there. I was petty. like, mm. Philip Forsberg yeah. is petty. That's and how I he got it. it back. Yeah, I was just saying, I'm good enough. <laughs> Let me go score a hat trick. Yeah. I'm still very mad about it. So speaking of the Canes and their celebrations, Jillian, what do you think about it? I just, I love seeing how angry people get. Like, I like watching the world burn sometimes. And, like, <laughs> that's one of those times where every time they do it, I'm like, yes, angry people on Twitter coming out in throws. Like, I just love it. And then, yeah, like, obviously it's cheesy. Like, it's clearly very cheesy. I think that they're very aware of that. But anything that you can do to engage with fans, like, I'm a big soccer fan as well. And supporter sections are just the commonplace. Like, and you, you're about to get a soccer team here to an MLS team. And, mm-hmm. like, if you ever get a chance, just go sit with the supporter section. And this idea where it's like a – like, the whole point of it is that you feel like as a fan, you get to have some impact on the game. You know, you're cheering the whole time. And I love that two-way street kind of feel. And just seeing how much the fans love it to me is all, all I would ever need to be convinced that it's something that's worthwhile and worth doing, regardless of how cheesy it is. And again, I just like I like seeing how people, angry people get. Like I really do. Like yeah, I, just, I, I like Brian Burke. I just like imagine like an, like his artery popping out. Like, like, like oh no, somebody's having fun. No, no fun. So yeah, I don't know why people don't like it. I mean, they're just doing it for fun. I mean, yeah. I think it's, it's not like it's affecting anything. I think it's a jealousy thing. I mean, think about it. Your team for right now. We're gonna say the Preds. The Preds just won. They let's say they beat the Hawks. Nah, they just beat the Bolts. And they come back out on the ice, and they do a little shebang, whether it's duck, duck, goose. They play, like, they play, like, hide-and-go-seek for all I care, but imagine. <laughs> that would be great. Can they do that? Uh, if you guys are listening, hide-and-go-seek. Paul McCann can be like, okay, counting down, and then someone's in the middle ready to go. You're able to, like, get up into the stands, too, so yes. they're, like, hiding behind fans. <laughs> just awesome. imagine – you're watching your, a whole other side. You just watched your team for 60 minutes just beat the hell out of somebody. And then they come back out and they're like, look, we can do this too. We're so much fun. And all the fans are around the boards or they're up in the stands, wherever you are. And I think that's one thing I love about warm-ups. I mean, I know we always get there early for warm-ups. Mm-hmm. And you see it after the game. Because, I mean, after the game right now, they're just they're here, throw your sticks in the air, give a little hug to Pekka or use, and then you you say go. Joey and PK do the yeah, little dance, course. which is really cute, of by course. the way. I love it. And <laughs> we love that little bit, and that's not involving, like, fans, but imagine once you involve all of the fans. No, I agree with you. I think it is jealousy. Like, just, it's, think about how pissed people get about how the Preds chants mm-hmm. after goals, how mad, how... How trashy and classless it is, but I mean, Trashville. Trashville, oh, original guys. <laughs> like that's my favorite one. Whenever someone says trash, I'm like, wow, I wonder how you came up with that one. That was uh, like, that was really hard. Really yeah. hard think about how much of a troll it really is for the Canes to literally kick ass on the ice and then seconds later they just play duck duck goose around their logo. Like that's such a troll, it's but great. I love it. Great. I love it. It's so funny. Well, and the problem, I think, is that now that they've done it, like, no other team can do it, right? Because yeah. if they do it, they're just copying the Canes, and then you have that. But you guys know more than anybody that people hate when you're having fun and people are giving you attention. Like The banners, question mark? Yeah. Is that a hint? <laughs> <laughs> but, like, you guys know, though. Like, it's just anytime that there's fun having – and I, I say, like, hockey is broken down into, like, the old versus the new, more or less. And you have the, the new, which is, like, embracing the speed, embracing the fun aspect of it. And then you have those people who are just – if it's not 
this is hockey. This is a serious sport. Like, you have those people. And it's really split between those two, and you really see it when you, when you talk about a cane celebration. So, featured on this episode is our breakaway. And on February 4th, Jacob Voracek with a beautiful breakaway. And he basically threw himself into the goal. Um, it was against Vancouver early in the second period. It put them up two to nothing against Vancouver. It was a very, very, very good breakaway. He went right past the goalie skate. I don't even know who was in net, but right past the skate, and it was just mm-hmm. beautiful. He kind of pulled like a hurricane celebration when they like threw the player into the net. And that's exactly what I was going to say. The <laughs> celly was even better than the goal. I mean, I didn't he think he was top that. <laughs> he was just like, there it goes. He just hugged the pole. He's like, thank you for not taking my puck. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, I think that'll do it for this podcast. Um, Thank you guys so much for listening, and thank you so much, Jillian, for coming out here. We hope you have a great rest of your trip, and we can't wait for the next one.